this morning. Uh, I uh, celebrated yesterday, or my family and I, and some friends and uh, friends, and we also invited Adam. So I don't want to include him in that first group, um, but. Uh, but but we had some people over to the house yesterday to celebrate uh, Kaya, my four-year-old. Uh, well, he's four now. He turned four yesterday. Uh, so he's our youngest. And as as we were planning his his party, and he was telling us all the things that he wanted. And at school, they're teaching them about being healthy. So he was really torn about having a cake at his birthday. I'm like, what is our school system doing to our children? You have to have cake for your birthday. Uh, but he wanted fruit, so we had fruit. But we also had a cake, because I wanted cake. So whether he wanted cake or not. Um, we celebrated his birthday, and as I was thinking about his birthday coming up, I started thinking back to things that I used to, before I was a parent, think these are things that are important for my kids. In fact, in high school, I got so frustrated with my mom that I had this notebook, a spiral-bound notebook. And every time she would tick me off, which would be about 37,000 times a day, right, as a teenager. And, and so I would open up that notebook and I would write down, I will never do this to my kids. I will never say this to my kids. When I was in college, uh, I'd, I'd moved away about an hour and a half away, and my mom's house burnt down and my notebook burnt down. And so as a parent, I've really struggled because I don't know how to parent because I don't have my notebook of all the perfect things that a, my teenager self thought I should do. Uh, but as, as, as a, we've had kids and we've got five kids and the last, uh, you know, six, five, six years of, of having kids has been crazy and learning a lot. I, it's amazing to me the things that. I want to ask you this morning, if you, if there was one word that you thought, I want my kids to be this, when people think about my child, I want them to be described this way, what, what is that word? Or maybe you have a couple words, but just let, I want to hear a word or two that you would like your kids to be described as. Confident, okay. Loving, what'd you say? Caring, okay. Anything else? Independent. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Respectful. Yeah, for me, there were a lot of words, some of those included, that that were important to me before I became a parent. And, and maybe it's just the times that we're living in. Maybe it's, it's working with students uh, before. But one word that is so important to me, for my kids to be is kind. And I remember as a kid, like when people would tell us to be kind, I'm like, that's that's just it sounds even it sounds like a girly word. And I was like, I don't want my son to be kind. I want him to be like strong and I want him to be powerful. I want him to be like assertive. And kind wasn't exactly a word, but man, like I want my kids to be kind because people are so mean, you know, and and uh I, I want them to be assertive and I want them to be confident I, but I want them to be kind to people and and I was as I was reading uh, I've been reading scripture a lot over the last couple of months in this transition trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life and where are things going and filling in a lot of ways like I had the, the last five years like well, like what was that time for for those of you who don't know I served as the pastor of Rio Vista here for five years and and just a lot of things didn't go the way I thought they were going to go I thought this was going to be one of those ministries where I was in for a long time 
And so when that didn't happen and, and things took a turn that, uh, and I couldn't turn them back, um, it, it caused me to question a lot of things. And as I was reading this past week um, in the book of Romans, uh, I saw something that I knew but I didn't understand in the way that this experience, this season of life, allowed me to understand this passage in a way that I think could be helpful for you. So if you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to to go there. In fact, part of this is, is, is talking with them about that. Um, later on in the letter, he, he addresses that. But he's writing this letter to them um, about the need to get the gospel to Spain, which is beyond Rome. And he's like, I need to come through you guys to get there. So when I get to you, I need some money. So you guys take an offering is, is a lot of what, what he's trying to get at to them. Uh, but before that, he addresses some issues that, that just churches in general need to deal with. And there's some theological things. And he reminds them that, hey, a long time ago, God created the world. And he created the world perfect and there wasn't sin, but then sin entered the world. And, and it got to a point where it infected all of us. Everyone who's ever been born is infected with sin. And the way that I explain sin to my four-year-old, as I say, Kaya, sin is, is when you do what you want instead of what God wants. And, and, and I remember as a kid growing up thinking it was about breaking laws, but it's more than just about breaking laws. It's about the, the attitude of my heart. And, and, and where, uh, the reason why I make the decisions I make. And the reason we sin is not because we want to break laws. It's because we have a selfish heart. And so, so all of us have that selfish heart. And in Romans 1, Paul writes and he tells us that, that, that all of us have rejected God. People don't go to hell because they reject the gospel. Paul tells us that in Romans 1. Right? There are people around the world who, who have never heard of Jesus, and yet they've rejected God. Well, how has that happened? Paul talks about how, how God created the heavens, and he created the universe. He created everything that we see. And, and through that, even if you never hear about God, even if you never read his word, you can know that God exists. And he says, but everyone, upon knowing in their heart and, and having a realization that there's something out there that's bigger than me, maybe we don't call it God. Maybe we call it something different. Maybe we call it the sun God. We worship the sun because we realize the sun's greater than we are. But everyone, through creation, can see that there's something greater out there than me. And Paul says that all of us have rejected him. And as Paul's writing to the Romans, uh, he, he's writing generally. Then he gets to chapter 2, and that's where we're going to pick up in verse 1. And he starts talking to those individuals there at the church at Rome, and I believe to us today. Because sometimes we have this attitude, this mentality of them out there, right? That the problems in the world are there because of them. And if they would do the right things, then we would all be okay. But because they are doing that thing, we all suffer. And Paul says, yes, 
everyone, they and us, everybody has rejected God. Everybody has said, God, I want to do things my own way. Everybody has had a selfish heart. And he starts in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We can't look at someone else and condemn them and say they're the problem because we do the same things that they do. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So it rightly falls on them. Yes, you're right, but it also falls on us, Paul says. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the kindness that you have shown to us. We thank you for the knowledge of you that you've given us in the universe and the vastness of, of, of creation. We also thank you for your word that you have preserved so that we could read and and know you in a more personal way. So God, we pray today that as we read your word, that you would remind us of the kindness that you have shown us. Father, that you would change us into being more like you in a world that desperately needs to experience you in a new and real way. In Christ's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So Paul says, they've sinned, but you have too. We can't have this mentality that the problems in the world are those outside of the building that we're in. That it's people outside of our homes. That it's people outside of, of our workplaces. It's, it's us. Like We are the problem as much as everybody else is the problem. And it's not wrong for us to admit that's wrong. It's not wrong for us to call out things in culture and to look at culture and say culture is not following God's plan that's just true but what he says is is you also have to examine yourself and too many of us buy into this line in verse four uh, paul talks about presuming on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience he said did you not know that his kindness is meant to lead to repentance His kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. You remember back in the book of Exodus, God's people are in slavery. And in fact, there was a prophecy they were going to be in slavery for 200 years, 400 years. And and, and he he had prophesied that in the book of Genesis. And, And then we get to the book of Exodus and they have been in bondage. They've been in Egypt for for several hundred years and in bondage for, for part of that. And God hears their cries and he calls out Moses, right? Who's in the wilderness. He calls out Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses says, well, God, who am I going to tell that, that they sent me? Like they, They're not going to trust me. They're, they're going to say, you're a crazy man from the desert. He said, tell them that I am sent you. So Moses goes back in and that's what he does. He tells the elders and then he tells Pharaoh. And you know the plagues and, and, and all the things that happen, the, the ten plagues that happen. And eventually God takes the firstborn son of, of the people in Egypt. And as, as God is doing all of that, 
He's preparing his people to leave, and eventually they leave out of Egypt, and they they move back toward Mount Sinai, where God said to Moses, you'll come back to this mountain, and you'll worship me. And so they did worship him there. And then, over halfway through the book of Exodus, God gives his people laws. We got all the way through Genesis, from Abraham to to Isaac to Jacob to his 12 sons to a few hundred years of history and and the life of of Abraham's family and and his descendants. And then the whole Sinai experience or the the whole uh, uh, plague experience happens. They wander in the desert for just a little bit until they finally get to Sinai. They worship God and finally he gives them rules to follow. They were already his people. They were already his children. He, he had called them out for, for himself hundreds of years before that through Abraham. We're not God's children because we follow the law. We're not made God's children because we're good. All of us, Isaiah says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us know like there's something inside of us. I believe that, that God has, has, has instilled in us and written on our, our hearts his law. And there are certain things that, that no matter what society in the world you go to, whether they've, they've ever had interactions with any other society, you go to, to, to these villages out in Africa or, or in the Amazon, and you find that they have certain laws like they believe in the sanctity of life. They believe that it is wrong. If you take a life, that is wrong. If you kill someone, that is is wrong. And I believe that, that in societies all over the world, they have that because God has put that on our hearts. There's nothing else to really explain that except that God has, has put that in us. And And so all of us, though, have rejected our knowledge, whether it's a lot of knowledge, we know the, the Bible, or just a little bit of knowledge, we know there's something greater out there than us. And all of us have rejected that God and chosen to, to go our own way. But God in His kindness calls us to a relationship with Him. He doesn't say, if you follow these rules, if you'll do these things, if you check these boxes, you can be mine. Instead, He looked at us and He said, this You can never save yourself. You can never right this ship. You can never fix the things that are wrong. Because it's not just what you do, it's who you are. And so he came and did what only he could do. He came and lived the perfect life. God came and became a man and died the penalty that that we all earned, that we all deserved in rejecting him. And he was rejected by us again. And he died and he was raised from the dead so that we could now have a relationship with him. And many of us, if we're not careful, we begin to presume on the kindness of God. In the past few months, if I'm honest, even before that, I've been tempted at times of giving in to the temptation of looking around and going, God, I did this and where are you? God, these other people did these things and and it it seems like you gave them what they wanted. God, I've tried to follow you. I've tried to do what you wanted me to do. And it's, it seems like, God, you, you really weren't helping me. You weren't listening. 
God. This doesn't seem fair. Got a 13-year-old at home, and that's her favorite thing. Nothing in life is fair. We had a birthday party for my four-year-old yesterday, and she was upset because his birthday party was different than the way that her birthday party was back in the spring when she had a birthday. And like it's, it, everything is is fair, but it's her it's her standard of fairness, right? Uh, and so, so she gets to decide what's fair and what's not fair, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But but that's what we do. We we go back to our thirteen year old selves and we're like, but God, that's not it's not fair. And as I've been removed a little bit more from the situation, it's I've been reminded of God's repeated kindness to me, even in this season. And and the, the relationships that, that have started because of this, the opportunities that I've gotten because of this, uh, and the 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 growth in my family that never would have happened if I'd have stayed where I wanted to be. If things had worked out the way I wanted. And in those moments where I, where I realize that, where I have the, the, my mind opens up and I'm able to see from God's perspective and not my 13-year-old girl that's inside of me perspective. I'm able to see, like, God is, is doing something good here. This is better than, than what I wanted. God, I'm, I'm sorry. And he never goes, I told you. He never goes, you should have listened to me a long time ago. He never goes, I, I was right all along. I don't know why you didn't just listen to me. He's always like, it's okay. Come on. That's in the past. Let's move on. We don't have to worry about that stuff. Let's move forward. Verse 5, he says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. If sin is ultimately doing things my way, hell is God giving me my way. I was talking with a friend this past week about, she's a new believer, and she was asking about hell, and she has heard a lot of different things, and she, she's like, so do people really burn forever, and like, is it really all that, like, like it goes on forever and ever, and you just burn and burn and burn, like, how does your skin not burn up, and I was like, honestly, Steph, I don't, I'm not real sure about the specifics of hell, I've never been, but this is what I know, based on scripture and based on what Jesus says about hell is that hell is basically you getting what you want. You spent your whole life rejecting God and saying, God, I don't want to do things your way. I want to do things my way. And in eternity, he says, it's not what I want for you. But you can have it. You can have things your way. Do you remember in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says that, that, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and there was nothing. Like it was just void nothingness. Because that's what there is without God creating it. There is nothing. And I believe that's what hell is. You're just in the midst of darkness with nothingness. And you're just alone. No one can hear you. No one can see you. And, and no one's coming to help. It's what there would be if God did not create. Because everything that we see, God created. And so hell is what it would be like if there was no creation. He gives people what they want. 
says in verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. And it's in the Bible, so it has to be true. And in moments like this in my life, and in circumstances in your life, and maybe you can think back to times of transition in your life where you felt like God wasn't listening to you or like God wasn't being fair to you, I want to remind you this verse is still true in those seasons. In those times of your life where things aren't going well and where you're frustrated with God and you're frustrated with maybe the people around you and frustrated with your circumstances, God shows no partiality. He is a kind and good God, regardless of who you are and regardless of what you're walking through. Regardless of where you've been and where you're going, God is still kind. And even though, as we saw in Romans 1, every single one of us have turned our hearts away from Him, He still showed us kindness in Jesus. And even though as His children, we still often reject Him and turn away from Him and try to do things our own way and we don't like when He doesn't do things the way we want Him to, He still shows us kindness. He still provides for us. He still loves us. And He still hears us when we pray. So I want to ask you this morning, when's the last time? When is the last time that you have looked at the good things that God has given you? When's the last time that you really examined His kindness toward you? How has God been kind toward you? You ever written those things down? I want to encourage you to do that. Sometime this week. Maybe right now in your head you can think about that. Maybe you want to take out your phone and write a, a schedule yourself a time this week to sit and think about the good things that God has done for you. We don't often schedule that into our calendars. And so what ends up happening is when when trouble comes and when God doesn't do things our way, we don't stop to think about the good things because that's not natural. So I encourage you to take time to examine the kindness of God in your life. Maybe that's your family, maybe that's your church, maybe that's your health, maybe that's your finances, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your salvation. I don't know all the ways that God has been kind to you, but I want to encourage you to be specific and to write those things down. It used to be a song that that we would sing in church growing up, and it said, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And I used to think it was like the weirdest song, and I still think it's kind of a strange song because uh, we don't talk like that. But uh, and it, it was it was like kind of a country feel. And anyway, not my thing. But I do like the practice of counting your blessings. I want to encourage you to do that. And the second thing is this. What do you need to repent of? What do you need to repent of? Because as Paul said, yes, all of us have rejected God. But some of us have trusted in the salvation that Christ has provided for us. We trusted in the gospel and received salvation. But we still sin. Even as his children, we still sin. And so when's the last time that you sat and truly 
repented. It needs to be something we do every day. We need to confess our sins to the Lord every single day. And repent means this. It means to change your mind about something. Sometimes we use the the picture of of changing directions. And so you're going one way and you change and go the opposite direction. And that's that's a good example too. But it's changing your mind to be what God's mind is. What does God say about that thing? And then you say the same thing that God says about it. God's kindness, if we will dwell on that, will lead us to begin to see things the way God sees them. God isn't just kind to us because he's begging us. Like God's not this, this uh, poor peasant who's hoping that we'll be his friend. God's not, not sitting up in, in heaven hoping that someone will like him. He's not, Jesus isn't on the cross begging us to, to, to receive his salvation. That's not the way God works. But rather, he is a generous, all-powerful, sovereign being who says, I don't need any of you. I don't need anything, but I want you, and I love you. And you will never be fully and finally satisfied until you know me. I'm everything you're looking for. I'm everything that you want. And when we dwell on the kindness of God, we will find ourselves looking at our sin the same way he does. And you walk through seasons that are less than ideal. And you find yourself in circumstances that are not what you would have chosen. You'll be able to walk in faith in God in those seasons because you'll remember there's a kind and loving God who has a plan. He's not forgotten you. He's not left you. Even though it feels that way. Feels like maybe you are never going to get back to where you wanted to be. He's not left you. This morning, would you commit with me as we pray to this week? Think about how has God been kind to you? And how do you need to repent? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your grace toward us in preserving it. We thank you for the insight that you gave the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the kindness that you have shown to each of us. Thank you for the families that you've given us. We thank you for the health that you've given us. We thank you for for providing food for us. We thank you for providing shelter. We thank you for for providing community. For people that, that we can share life with and struggle along with. We thank you for country that's free, where we can worship you this morning without fear of repercussions. Father, I pray that as we think about your kindness this week, that we wouldn't presume upon it as if we deserved it, as if we've done good things to, to earn that, but rather we would recognize that there's nothing we could have ever done to deserve the love of the sovereign God of the universe. So may you be glorified as we respond in singing this morning, as we respond this week in dwelling on your kindness and in repenting of those things that we know don't please you. In Christ's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. uh, You know, if you want to...